Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. We do have success stories. All we really need to do is have intent of really protecting and prioritizing ecological conservation and also have right kind of experts on the panel while these projects are being designed because they really do not consult experts when these projects are designed. Otherwise, I think the result would have been much, much better. SDG Talkers, welcome back. Today, we're going to hear from Ishani Palandikur, who works in environmental research and advocacy at Chintan. Ishani is going to give us a snapshot into some of the issues around climate change within our hometown of Bol Bol. We'll hear about the advantages of forest coverage and how we can look to repurpose trash into something that becomes an economic good. Ashani has a lot of experience within waste management, and then will give us some context around how COVID-19 has been something of a force multiplier for good within the environment, but also has created some false perceptions on how we are approaching environmentalism moving forward. Lastly, we didn't talk about this in the podcast, but Ashani told me she's going on an Antarctica climate expedition in 2021, which is so epic. The link about that will be in the bio. I hope you enjoy this new Ashani, and keep on SDG talking. Ashani, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? Doing quite well, thank you. And where in the world are you located today? I am in India. I'm in my hometown, Bhopal, which is the central part of the country. And within Bhopal, and, and, and for everyone that doesn't know, we'll hear about it, you do a lot of work around climate action and climate awareness. How does the story of the SDGs affect your hometown of Bobal and, and how does what are maybe some unique insights to the geography or the population within Bobal and how it ties into the SDGs? Well, Bhopal is uniquely located and is one of the few cities which has its uh, forest cover, you know, in a better position than the rest of the country. I mean, my state has the largest forest cover amongst all the 28 states that we have. And the way Bhopal has been developing, it has been very mindful about maintaining its green cover and not really getting into the infrastructural development that is Hafasard. I still think that the government and the industries could do better, but I think they have done pretty well as compared to other cities, which are just going ahead without looking back on what's going wrong. And with that, I would also say that citizens, especially the elder generation, they are also very mindful of their carbon footprint. So for example, we have three lakes in the city and one of them is quite large. And it's a tourist attraction and it has so many cultural values associated with it. But rarely would you see uh, people throwing trash into the lake. And when they do, then they are penalized. And the government and local authorities, they're very mindful that those uh, lakes are well maintained. So I would say in terms with SDG, they might not be very ahead with with so much about their carbon footprint or carbon sequestration and those kind of conversation but i think they are doing well on the preservation part well said and so many things that dive into there but forest coverage and and maintaining green coverage why is that important and and i saw a documentary that came out recently on netflix called kiss to earth but tell me about why trees are so important to ensure a 
thriving city, a resilient city, as well as helping with carbon sequestration and, and different things like holding water on the ground. So I think I would answer this socially. So while we know all kinds of benefits of having forest cover for carbon sequestration and prevention of soil erosion and also maintaining the biodiversity, the forests here have great wildlife in them. And it often happens that if you start chopping off certain areas for development, and that happens from time to time, you would often hear in news that a leopard was set free and was spotted in the streets. A tiger was set free and was spotted on the streets. And, and it creates a lot of panic among citizens. So even the citizens want certain areas to be just, you know, special economy, uh, ecological zones, sort of place that, you know, nobody touches them because if you touch them, then they're going to come and attack you in, in, in your civilian area. So it's better you don't destroy them. Also, Bhopal has developed in the past 40 to 50 years and people are still they still have the memory of the place what it looked like back then and it was mainly forest so they are also not willing to let go of the beauty that the lakes and the trees and the green cover and the cold breeze that comes with it so and with reference to my city these are some values that i think people recognize but yes of course we cannot deny the fact uh, why and how forests are important. Uh, one of the things that I have observed with India is that one of our uh, national determined contributions for Paris Agreement were that we will create carbon sinks for 2.5 to 3 billion uh, tons of carbon equivalent. And I work in, in the policy recommendation space. And one of the questions that we have been constantly asking is how do you ensure that we have enough land for, for growing those forests? And unfortunately, there is no answer. I mean, forests are not even clearly defined in our legislative system. So in that way, we, I think we, we lag way behind. And within your job and, and just your passions and all your experience, you just talked about the aspect of development and moving forward. And we need to balance the, the land, the people, and, and everything around us, as well as we want to explore sustainable economic growth. But how did you go about developing with proper thinking. You know, you're, we're not just going to pull in bulldozers and, and put concrete everywhere, although that's happened in many places in the world. And you see biodiversity loss, you see terrible um, ability for water to percolate to groundwater. What are some ideas or maybe what are some success stories of thinking about development as opposed to maybe a bad story of someone who, or, an, or somewhere in the world where there was no thinking about the environment, we just put concrete and started building and then it's led to some sort of environmental catastrophe. Okay, so recently our environment ministry gave a green signal to certain projects, infrastructural projects that, that would wipe out certain areas of sanctuaries and national parks and uh, they say that they will replace that amount of trees by planting them somewhere else. But in reality, that really doesn't happen. And uh, many activists, they questioned this decision by the government. And since everything was happening during the lockdown, we couldn't have detailed meetings with them in their offices. We couldn't do protests. So one of their officials, they said that, you know, in, in, in the light of development and for, for the developmental concern, we, we are doing this and we are trying to, you know, do as less harm as possible to the ecology. But 
in India itself, we have an example, and the example is the state of Sikkim, which is one of the northeastern Himalayan states, and it is a carbon neutral state. And I will tell you, the state's economic strength is so strong that even in the light of COVID lockdown, it was the only state that refused to have tourism till the month of October. And all the other states have been open for business because uh, in Himalayan states, the problem is usually either people are engaged in agriculture or they're engaged in tourism broadly. So if tourism drops out, then half of their economy shuts down. But that state has been able to cope up with this kind of economic loss and it is carbon neutral and it has biodiversity well maintained. And any person you would find from Sikkim, they, they will be as conscious as anyone who studies environmental science in the urban setting. So we do have success stories. All we really need to do is have intent of really protecting and prioritizing ecological conservation and also have right kind of experts on the panel while these projects are being designed because they really do not consult experts when these projects are designed. Otherwise, I think the result would have been much, much better. Yeah, and I think when you see some of these projects happen within the silo, if it's just someone from business or some just one person from policy or one person from academia or even a citizen, often you just get only one viewpoint, but it's so important to have many people at the table making these decisions. And and within that framework, we were just talking about, you mentioned it nicely, having intent. And I think there's there's so many things that go into a sustainable city. And what what was the city up Northeast called? Sikkim? Sikkim? Sikkim. It's the state. Sikkim. Sikkim state. Okay. Yeah. Um, So like in places like Sikkim state or even Bobol or Place, other places in India or other places around the world, one issue that I know is a huge problem, but also opportunity is waste management. How does waste management tie in this discussion in terms of instead of making it something that we're just setting on fire in the street and releasing all these carbons and toxins in the environment, what can we do from a planning standpoint and execution standpoint to better manage our waste and ensure we're not completely clogging our rivers and our airs with toxins. Okay. So while uh, waste management is, it's really not that a complicated process, but one of the basic rules of waste management is to reduce. And my organization works in waste management and plastic waste management. And even though we work in the policy space and we, we try and do better recycling and everything else, one of the things that we really emphasize on is how do you reduce your waste and how do you reuse whatever you have? In, in my country, they have this in, le- in legislation that you have to segregate your waste at source in dry, wet, and domestic hazardous waste. But obviously, it is not followed to the book in, in most of the cities. So what can you do if your system itself doesn't really care? I mean, if let's suppose my household, we are segregating waste, but my waste picker refuses to take two bags. He just puts both of them in the same van. So how do you help them out? So here, what I really want to emphasize that instead of looking waste as waste, we need to look at, look at it as an economic opportunity because most of the dry waste is recyclable and it employs a huge number of people, uh, especially in my country, in, in the informal waste management se- sector. These people, they collect this dry waste and they sell it to another set of people and they get paid and all of this waste gets recycled. Now, there are other challenges with whether the product is recycled or downcycled, but nonetheless, 
there is an economic opportunity with whatever waste you generate. So I think more emphasis should be given. You know, I think people understand business more than they understand environmental protection. So once you tell them that, you know, if you do this, there's an economic value attached to it. I think that's the narration that people understand well. Well, that's a good um, good idea in terms of how we phrase things. I mean, I, I work a lot in the realm of water. And frankly, a lot of people don't care about water. But if you talk about water in the frame of health or education, all of a sudden you, people's ears perk up. I mean, think about it. You can't really have a functioning school or hospital without safe water. In the, so that well, I've learned that to rephrase the problem in terms of a different front-facing sort of face to it. And I think you just brought up a good point of how do we turn the environmental issues into economic opportunities? So you mentioned some aspect of reusing. Well, ideally, number one is reduce. That is the most important thing. And that comes from consumer culture. But from reusing or repurposing or taking a previously thought of waste and turning it into a positive economic input for something else, what are some examples or success stories that you know of from taking some type of waste and turning it into a circular economic economy? I think India, as, as a culture, we have this notion of reusing things as much as possible. I mean, I have grown up seeing my father getting his shirts, which look old, die so that he doesn't have to buy another one. And it was not because of the lack of money, but that's how their mindset is that, you know, we have got this and we will use this as long as it stays. So that way, I think culturally, we are very strong positioned and we have the capacity to and bring circular economy. One of the best examples that I see around me is how we use textile waste. So textile waste is, is currently being used by some companies as packaging. So for example, when we order from Amazon, we get a lot of plastic waste along with it. So some companies are replacing that plastic packaging with textile packaging. So it doesn't break the glass items or delicate items. Another is making bags out of uh, used flexes, you know, flex that we use in the events. So my organization, we have employed some of the uh, family members of waste pickers and we get them the flex waste and they create bags out of it, which you can use whenever you're stepping out for getting groceries. And then I have another friend who actually repurposes metal scrap that just lies around in, in the junkyards and doesn't get recycled. He he uses them to make murals or showpieces or banners or signs and, and they look phenomenal. So, I mean, he has made a business out of it. He uses the waste, which I'm sure he gets at a very low price. And then he puts in all his effort to design beautiful things out of that waste. And then he has high-end clients who buy them. So we do have good examples of repurposing here. That's amazing. A true example of one man's trash is another man's treasure. True. Yes. So the world in 2020 has looked quite different. And I think we can all agree that our lives have all changed some ways for the worse, but also some ways for the better in terms of coming back to maybe our core roots of really thinking about what's important, what matters, and, and obviously not being able to travel and, and all things like that. But COVID-19 has single-handedly been one of the biggest drivers of change, whether for good or for bad. I think COVID-19 has been a precursor to some of the how the world needs to come together to fight the largest issue in the future with climate change. But I would love to hear from your perspective on a snapshot of how has COVID-19 
positively or negatively just impacted the environment. I know there's been talk of, hey, there was less travel, less air pollution, but there was maybe some misconceptions there. But so talk about that. And then also just generally moving forward, how do you think COVID-19 will impact our collective fight to go against climate crisis issues? So we have been strong advocates of no plastic and COVID brought back plastic. So most of the states here have banned single-use plastic and while they have not clearly defined what that includes, but I think we were we were stepping in the right direction until this came and uh, reuse of things became, uh, created a paranoia that, you know, you could get infected and that brought a lot of plastic waste, single-use plastic waste, which is even worse. So that, that was my concern. And also in Delhi, so I've been living in Delhi for seven years now. I'm home because of the lockdown. But the air improved because obviously no one was traveling. There was no transportation. The industries were shut off. But I think it has given people a notion that, you know, you, you just stop everything and then you can make the environment better. And since you cannot stop everything, so there is probably no solution to make environment better. How I really think that people should look at the long-term solution to climate problem the way they look at COVID. For example, not going out, maintaining social distance is a short-term solution to be protected against COVID. But once the vaccine is out, that is probably a more safer or a longer solution to the problem. Similarly, yes, not having industries on is is a short-term solution to not having pollution. But if you bring sustainable practices, if you encourage your industry enough to switch to sustainable modes and your citizens enough to uh, switch to sustainable practices, then that is the long-term solution to better climate, to better environment. Yeah. Within that within that of trying to move towards just better sustainable practices, is this more of a, a top-down government imposing various laws and regulations like single-use plastic bans and, or is it more of a bottom-up grassroots approach? And, and do you have any thoughts on are there good incentives or are there good punishments that, that make sense to help spur this sustainable development? I think it's both ways. I mean, uh, there are certain rules that government creates and they implement and the citizens are conscious and there are certain demands that we as citizens make and then the government is nudged to make better policies. It's both ways. But I would still like to highlight that we still lack the incentives for people to make better choices. For example, if someone is already doing it, they might, they don't get that kind of recognition, which they deserve to probably, you know, keep that enthusiasm going. And for someone who is not doing the better practices, they are not penalized properly. So many industries that do not follow the standards of pollution control board, they may receive a couple of notices, maybe a slap on the wrist and uh, they go back to business nothing really concrete happens, comes out of it. And also I feel, you know, it's seen, especially in my country, that environmental development is the job of social sector, the NGOs and the government. Businesses really have to do nothing with it. So I think when you make, again, if, if you're making environmental conservation a business activity, that you save the environment as well as you make money while doing it, I think that will change the attitude of people because right now it's like oh you know it's your job it's not really my job yeah it seems like often you see finger pointing of hey it's your job you need to do this but i think 
it's both how do we provide proper incentives for people to do something, but even more so too, you you can look at, hey, this is great that we're doing single use plastic band straws or bag straws. And I saw a funny meme the other day and I can send it to you where it's, those are great initiatives, but some of the largest corporations and manufacturers and different types of industry based on how our economic system is, is set up, they are times tens of hundreds amounts of carbon emissions, but those for the most part go on business as normal and, and continue to kind of do whatever they want and, and try and influence policies so they don't have to worry about emissions. But that I guess that's more of a, a top-down issue in, provide, in implementing the proper sanctions. But I don't know, any, any other thoughts or comments on, on that idea? Yeah, I think, you know, how a business thinks that you have to maximize your profit and you have to minimize your expense and you work out ways and means to reduce on your expenses. I think that kind of approach is required that we keep doing a business, we keep making money, but at the same time, we reduce the environmental hazard while we are at it. And that attitude is missing that, you know, how can we make money while we also conserve the environment? I mean, I just feel that maybe bringing a more economic value to environmental conservation will probably bring better change because as of today, it's, it's just everybody else's job. That's true. And I mean, sometimes maybe the best way to showcase economic value, unfortunately, is, is painting that snapshot of what happens if it's all gone. That's the whole phrase of Thomas Jefferson. I mean, what you, you realize the value of the water once the well is dry and then terrible things can happen from migrations to wars over a core resource like water or just our, our basic planet. So I'm hopeful that it's not going to be as extreme where we, we, can, we wake up faster and we realize that our status quo of just endless economic growth is not sustainable and frankly is not the world, our planetary boundaries cannot support the, the traditional world. So I'm hopeful that the COVID-19 has been a slap in the face to realize that we need to acknowledge some of the good that's going on, but we need to especially acknowledge the bad and make serious changes quicker. True. I hope so. Yeah. Also hopeful. So within the kind of the wrapping up here, I'm interested in, in two questions for you and you can answer either one first. Within the context of climate action and climate awareness that you work on, what's something that you are most excited about and then what is something that keeps you up at night and you're terrified about? Uh, it's actually the story how I got into the sector. So I studied commerce, but I'm working in this field. And that happened because I started traveling when I was in college and I went to the Himalayas for the first time. And, you know, I was so excited that I would see all those mountains the way I see them in pictures. And it was an utter disappointment. And that hit me uh, that this is something I need to work on. So what terrifies me is that I would plan to go to all these beautiful places, which will not be beautiful anymore. And uh, within climate action, what I really am excited to work on is, is the Himalayan sustainability because our glaciers are retreating really fast. And even if we meet the uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius goal for Paris Agreement, the Himalayas will still be warmer by 3 to 4 degrees Celsius, which is not a good news. So I'm really excited about that. I can share that sentiment where you look at some of these photos of what you think it is and then you get there and 
and frankly, it's not. And, and, I, and there's so many things that go into that challenge. I mean, one small example, you talked about the importance of the trees, but you have a challenge where you have maybe small rural types of farmers that, that might live hand to mouth. And it's hard to think about the future value of the environment when today you're thinking about trying to give food to your family. And so that tree is a source of economic impact income for you. So maybe you chop down the tree. You don't really care about the biodiversity. You don't really care about that. So for those out there that, that we want to try and inspire, what would you say to the, I mean, I guess it, it, people on this podcast or just generally to the world, what would you say to those out there about how to think and act and, and be a more global steward to this world? I think maybe it would, I would let them to start by thinking about themselves first. I mean, we, when we talk about sustainable development, we often say that we have to think of the next generation, but at the rate which we are going, I think we really need to think about ourselves first. And I say that from my experience when I got allergic asthma because of Delhi's air pollution. So I really don't care about my children because I am dying right now, right here because of whatever is happening. So what can I do in this moment to make my next day a little better than yesterday? So I think, and, and that is something you're really capable of. I mean, segregating waste, you, you need not be a scientist, you know, maintaining a few plants at your home, you really need to, I mean, th that's a very simple job that you can do. Reduce your car rides. I mean, I, I understand some people need to use the car, but then can you reduce the rides? These are just simple things. And, you know, people from above, they may ask that one person doing it doesn't make a difference. But yes, when 7 billion people reduce their one car ride, then that makes a lot of difference. So I think they really need to start small and start with themselves before going on to a global effort. Couldn't agree more. And by starting with yourself, that makes a ripple effect to your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor. And that ripples out from one, two, four, eight, you know, keeps getting exponential to, to that impact. So couldn't agree more. And Shani, I just want to thank you for all your passion and your advocacy and your hard work that you're doing for the SDGs. And want to let you know that we uh, we're rooting for you. We want to keep hearing about you, and I look forward to hearing about what happens next with all your exciting work. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for hosting this kind of platform. It it brings out the better stories. Maybe people will be more hopeful about our future. I would like to think so. And you you gave me a lot of hope today and and for tomorrow. And and Shani, thanks for all you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.